All right, well, if you have a Bible or you've got your iPhone or Android, whatever, uh, let's open it up, turn it on to Proverbs chapter 4, where we finish out this series on the book of Proverbs. Um, I don't know if William Wallace actually said this, but Mel Gibson did in Braveheart. Um, he said, not, not uh, everyone dies, not everyone lives, right? So there's this idea that there's a difference between living and really living. And what, what, what is the difference? Okay, before we get to Proverbs 4, I just want you to hear me for a moment. What's the difference between this sort of life and really living? Now, some people would say, well, what it is, 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 is uh, really living is when I get to do, believe, say, whatever, all the things I want to, and I don't have to do the things I don't want to do. That would be really living, which is why religion and Christianity kind of cramps my style because my perception or what they think of it very often is that, is that it's just counter, exactly opposite to that, that what, what Christianity steps into, it says that you, you can't do all this stuff and you must do all this stuff that you don't want to do, right? It's going to force you to do stuff you don't want to. It's going to tell you, you you can't do the stuff you do want to do, right? So is this really living? Is this what it means to, to really live? So we come to the Bible and we have this perception, what the Bible is telling us, just a sort of list of do's and don'ts. It's this morality code that I'm supposed to follow, but, but it's not. Do you understand the Bible is not primarily a list of do's and don'ts? The Bible is, is, is primarily this, this pathway to life. Okay, so Jesus comes along in John chapter 10 and says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, right? What does he mean? There, there must be a difference between living and really living. He must sort of agree with William Wallace. Everybody dies, not everybody lives. I came to give abundant life. And there's going to only be a few people. So, you know, not everybody's going to get in on this because they don't want it. They think they know the path to real life. And I'm here to tell you, I know the way. I, I, that does not sound to me like a, like a cosmic killjoy. That does not sound like somebody who wants to lead you to a place of, oh, you know, well, I just I have to do all this junk I don't want. That sounds to me like somebody who says, I know pools of joy that you've never swam in. I know places where you can live that you have no idea about. So when we come to Proverbs 4, the reason I want to say all this is because Proverbs 4 is the Old Testament way of talking to you about Jesus and talking about what it looks like to really live. Like what does it look like for real life to happen? What does real living look like? How do we get it? What do we do with it, right? It's this invitation. This is a great description, by the way, of the Bible. The Bible is an invitation to life. It's an invitation to say, come, do you want this? Do you want a part of this? Do you want to get in on this? Because anybody can get in on it. And it's not what I bring to God that gets me eternal life, that gets me even abundant life in this world. It's what he's done for me. And all I have to do is accept it. I mean, I've got to accept that what he's telling me is true, and then I've got to embrace it in the sense that I believe it and live it out. Like, that, that, that's, that's what the Bible's going to say to me. And it all starts with God. Now, now let, me just, let me just set the stage. I want, I want to make sure before we dive into Proverbs 4 that you hear this. Why did God create us? Like, what, why did God decide, I'm going to put Chris Lewis and, and other people, I'm going to put you on the earth. I'm going to create this thing called humanity. I'm going to create the world, everything in it, including mankind. Why did he do this? You ever thought about this? Did he do it because he's lonely? 
Did he do it because he was lacking something? Was he like, you know what? It is awfully boring up here. I need some people to sort of keep me entertained. Did he need it because he needed a bunch of slaves to serve him? So I think the only conclusion we can come to when we read our Bibles is, let, let, let me give you this, this, this understanding of God the Bible teaches, says that God is one, but he eternally exists in three persons, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Now this is a mystery, but it also there's something about this, that there is this, there is this perfect relationship. There is, you know, we, we, we love this idea of community. We've never known. There's no, there's no tribe or nation in the world. There's no people or family that has never known the kind of relationship that happened among, that is happening always eternally among the Trinitarian Godhead. Like it just doesn't, that, that is beyond our wildest dreams of what that must feel like. Perfect unity, perfect harmony, perfect community, perfect love flowing in out through the three of these members of the Trinity toward one another. I'm not, he's not lacking anything. He's not like, you know what, we're missing a piece here. But out of this enormous, abundant love, something explodes out of this that says, I how about we do this? Let us create man in our own image, in our likeness. And let's invite them into this. Let's invite them into this life like they've never known before. Let's invite them into what it looks like to really, really live. And all you have to do is accept it. So, so this is Proverbs 4. And I, I want you to see, again, Proverbs 4 is there, the Old Testament speaking to us about how we, how we get in on this real living and how we stay there and, 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 and how we keep going in the midst of, of real life, okay? So let's start reading together. We'll read a few verses. We'll talk a little, read a little, talk a little, and uh, just go through the passage, okay? So here we go. So, so here, here's how you get going on this path of life, on this path of really living. Chapter four, verse one. Hear, O sons, a father's instructions, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments. Now, we've seen this before. If you've read the book of Proverbs, you see it over and over again. Listen, my son. Be attentive, my son. You know, do what I say, my son. Now, he's not talking. This is not just a father to a son. Yes, that would have been the immediate context. But if I look at it in light of Scripture, this is God talking to his children. So, so if you're a woman... You're part of this, right? This is, this is, listen, listen, children of God. Listen, I've got something to say to you. So the father, if you will, sort of says, my, 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 my children are getting older. They're about to go out in the world and there's something I want to leave with them. So kids, pull up a chair, sit down at the table. And if you will, he's sort of now taking the role of coach. Parents, I mean, you know what this feels like. Your kids are getting older. When they're younger, man, you are telling them what to wear, what to do, everything. As they get older, you sort of move to the sidelines and you become a coach. You start going, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell you some things you need to do. I'm going to give you some broad principles. Now, you got to go out and do this. That's what he's doing. He pulls up, so I'm going to coach you. I want to help you. I, 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 want, I have such great dreams for you in your life, but there's some things you need to know. But what's interesting is if you look at this, there's, there's really three generations sitting at the table, aren't there? The father says to the sons, to this children, come, let's, let's, let's talk. But he says, now let me tell you what grandpa taught me. Right? So, so now we've got, 
if you will, grandpa sitting there in, in spirit, if we can say it that way, dad and children, okay? So, so here's the, the, the wisdom of the grandpa still lives. And I think there is a principle in this for us. This is the legacy of wisdom. What legacy will you leave your children? What legacy will you leave to the next generation? The older you get, the more you start thinking about this kind of thing. What will I leave? Will it just be money? Because it'll eventually get spent. Will it be, I, I want to, okay, you know what? I've got to do as much as I can to get my kids to all these exotic locations. And what's going to happen with that? They all become photo albums. That's wonderful. That's great. If you can do that, you've got money, fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with taking them to exotic locations and having photo albums. But that's what they become, right? But wisdom goes forever. Wisdom gets passed down from one generation to the next. It, it leads the next generation into the path of really living. So, so now here's a dad saying, let me tell you what grandpa taught me, and I want to now pass this on to you. But hear me. It doesn't matter if you're a mom or dad or not. Hear me, you will never pass on what you don't possess, will you? You're never going to be able to pull the kids around the table and go, hey, kids, I want you to do all this stuff, but I didn't do any of it, as you can tell. I have failed in life. Listen to Grandpa. Right? Your kids are going to go, this is empty, right? So in other words, I have to be, I have to, I have to be engaged in this. We need to be showing to the next generation. We need to be looking and saying, man, I see wisdom in him. I see wisdom in her. Our children, those coming behind us, I mean, even those younger than you, even, even, even if you're not married or, or you're, you don't have children, it's this, these, these people that look up to you ought to be able to look and say, you know what, he's not perfect, she's not perfect, but you know what, there's something about them, and I want to I live a life like them. I can promise you, that doesn't come from money. That doesn't come from all the trappings of life, Right? This comes around, I, I want to live like dad. I want to live like grandpa. I want to look, I, I look at what they, they didn't have a lot of money or, or, or maybe they did, but there's something more beyond that. And I want what they have. I want to avoid the pitfalls, the landmines. I want to I walk securely. I want to live a life of no regrets like they did. That's a legacy. There's something else that strikes me about this passage and it's everywhere in Scripture, right? And this is the, the fact that the older generation is speaking to the younger generation. That's pretty obvious, right? And it's so obvious, somehow, we've lost that. Like, we are living at a time, do you, do you get this? Especially in America, you won't find this in Asia, you won't find this in Africa, but in America, in the West... To be young is relevant. To be old is to be outdated. And you want to listen. I mean, listen to the young people. They know what it's all about. And the Bible would be like, that's nonsense. That's just sheer foolishness. Young people, if you want dating advice, don't ask your unmarried friends. I just don't. That's the worst place to go for dating advice is a bunch of 18-year-olds sitting around telling each other what to do with dates. What do you do? You go to somebody that's older, you who are married. Like, like seriously, the, you don't go to somebody who's married five years, two years. You look and go, is there anybody here that's been married 40 years, 50 years, six years? You know what? If I could find that person, 
yeah, I'm going to call him on the phone. I'm going to stop him at church. I'm going to say, I will buy you dinner. I want to just listen. I don't have anything to teach you. You have everything to teach me. Somehow you made it down the road, and I want to know what's the secret. What did you do? You want to raise godly children? Don't ask the, the fellow mother with a two-year-old. Go to that family. You say, I've watched their kids. They're out of the house now. They're grown up and loving and serving Jesus. Now, what did they do? You see what I mean? This is the older, this is how God intended. This is where even Paul says to Timothy, the older women should teach the younger women. The older men should teach the younger men. This is how God designed his world, his church, that you could look around and go, there's some gray heads in this room. There's some older people in this room. There's people who are way further down the path. If I want to know how to make money, if I want to know how to be successful financially, I don't go talk to the guy or the gal who hit it big two years out of college. I go talk to a person who says, man, you've made it through recession upturns, downturns, everything, and you're still going, and you're still successful. Now, now teach me, what did you do? You see what I mean? This is older, younger. And I don't think we're a better country because of what we've done and because we idolize youth. This is, this is where it's at. This is not how the Bible talks. So, now we got grandpa, and we got dad, and we got the children sitting around. What does grandpa teach the son. One, what, what would you if, you, if you had one thing that you could pass, if you were sort of curly and city slickers, you had the one thing, right? You got one thing that I can teach you. What would it be? I just want to pass on one thing to you. And I, it, it's one thing that you can build your life around and you can know real, real living. Well, look what he says. Look at verse 5. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Look at verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. This is it. I mean, do you feel the urgency in this? I'm not saying, son, here's a good suggestion. Daughter, here's something you might want to, could have, should have done. I mean, I'm telling you, if there is one thing that I would tell you to build your life on, here it is. Get it. Go after it. Make this a life goal. Make this what you build your life upon. And if I read it in light of all of Scripture, he's not just saying wisdom is this idea. Get smart and, you know, get intellectual. He's saying get Jesus. Build your life on Jesus. Let Jesus be the focus. Go after him. It's worth everything. This is the one thing that if I could pass on to my children, this is it. My wife and I have talked about this for years. Like, like, what do we want from our kids? And it's pretty much boiled down to this. I want them to grow up. I don't want them to be absolutely, totally, head over heels in love with Jesus. That's it. Get it. Here's an old man. Here's a grandpa saying to a father, and now a father saying to a son and daughters, I'm telling you, and hopefully they're going to turn around the next generation and tell their kids and their kids, get him, get wisdom, build your life on this. This is it. Now, why? Why would, why would the son want to go after this? Look at verse 6. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her. She'll guard you. Verse 8. Prize her highly. She'll exalt you. She'll honor you if you embrace her. She'll place a garland on your head, a graceful garland. She will bestow 
bestow on you a beautiful crown. I mean, he's trying to paint every word picture he can. He acts like, he, he talks like wisdom is a lover. He talks like wisdom is this prized possession that you just grab onto and I will not let you go. He talks about wisdom like it's the gold medal in the Olympics. That's what the garland on your head is. That was the prize for winning at the athletic games saying, go after this. This is the prize. This is the great love. This is the possession. This is the thing that's worth selling everything to buy the field, Jesus would say. Go after this. Because if you do, do you see what he said? It'll keep you. It'll guard you. Like you're going out into a world that is going to assail you. It's going to try to harm you. There's a devil that's on the prowl seeking whom he may devour and wisdom will exalt you and wisdom will guard you and wisdom will honor you. See, the culture says, no, what you need is you need to be younger and you need to be thinner and you need to be richer and you need to be smarter and you need to have better sex and you need to have more stuff and you need to have all these things and then you're really living. So if you've made those things, like what you really chase after, functionally chase after in your life, how's that going for you? Are, 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 are you where you thought you'd be? Are you really like, man, I have arrived. I have lived a life of no regrets. If you could actually grab that brass ring and get all those things and have the perfect spouse and have the perfect job and have everything in place and all these trappings to life and your sex life is over the top and all, you, you get it all? Are you happier? Like, do you know anybody? I, I actually thought about this week. Can I think of one person that has made that the pursuit of their life? Getting all that stuff, the pursuit of their life, can I think of one person that I would say, oh, I want to be like them? I can't. See, in fact, isn't this interesting? Like Hollywood makes movies that line up with exactly what I'm saying. We, we don't admire people like this. What do we admire? Like, we, like, oh, that person sort of gave up everything to be courageous. That person gave up everything. They, they, there was something bigger than the trappings. There was something bigger than wealth, something bigger than power that they were going after. Th- those are the people that like stand out in the movie. This is the William Wallace of Braveheart. Could have been king. but we love him for what he did. See, I don't know anybody. And so here's here's God going, you've got a choice, right? You can can choose this proven, time-tested way of Christ, or you can can go down that dead-end road of man if you want to. So which will you choose? Because the choice is out there, and whichever you want, he's saying, come and get it, right? This is the amazing thing about wisdom, about what God is saying. It's about, about Jesus. Just come and get it, right? The only thing that is required of you is just make up your mind. Which path do you want to walk on? Because wisdom is not hiding from you. 
God is not hiding from you. The gifts of God, the promises of God are not hiding from you. The abundant life that Jesus promises is not hiding from you. You read the book of Proverbs, there's wisdom out in the road, in the middle of the street saying, come in, come in, all you are simple, just come in. I've got, I, I've, I've, I've spread the table, everything's ready for you. All you've got to do is say, that's the restaurant I'm going to. I'm not going to that one, I'm going to this one. And go. It's just decisiveness. And if you'll make up your mind, he says, this is how you get on the path of life. That's how you get there. So then, how do you keep going? I'm on the path of life, but I want to keep going. All right, look at, look at verse 10. Hear, my son, accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. This is going down the road of life. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of brightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. stumble. Keep hold of uh, instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. All those metaphors of walking and running and the path and in the way, that is the Bible's language for your life. The way you walk isn't just, I went for a stroll one day. This is, that's its way of saying the pattern of your life. Son, I have given you the pattern of wisdom. And if you will stay with this pattern, it will be years of life. You will walk in this way. You've got two choices, walk in the way of the wicked or walk in the way of wisdom. There is no third choice, son. There is no third choice, daughter. You don't straddle the fence between wisdom and wickedness and say, I'll try to sort of make both of them happen here. And you don't look at the way of wisdom and say, you know what I can do? This can be, wisdom is like a, a nice option to my life. It's a good add-on. It's like leather seats. I don't have to have them, but it's nice to have them. Wisdom is not an add-on. I mean, he just said, she is your life. Either of these ways are going to require everything of you. And so you, you know what he's saying, son, I've taught you. I've taught you. You walk in the way. You keep going. He's saying, what you do is day after day, moment after moment, you keep stacking up one wise decision after another. You know how momentum is created? Momentum isn't just sort of happen. Momentum is just simply one small win stacked on another small win, stacked on another small win, and pretty soon, you know, it's Jim, Jim Collins' flywheel. It just starts, you keep going and going, and it starts, and the momentum picks up, right? This is life. So you've blown it. So you look and say, but I haven't lived a wise life. You can start today. You can start stacking up decisions today and start turning that wheel just slowly. One win, one win of wisdom today, one win of wisdom tomorrow, and you can stack them up again and again. This is how you stay on the path. But now he's got a warning. He's got a warning he's going to give us about, about you've you, you got to be careful because, son, I've taught you the way, but now look at the warning that will get you off the path. Look at, look at, look at verse uh, 14. He says, Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it and do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Don't even go near that. Don't get close to that for they cannot sleep. This is wicked people. This is people who are in a habitual sin. They cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are 
robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. This is all kinds of sin in their lives now. Verse 19, just skip over 18. The way of the wicked is like a deep darkness. They don't know over what they stumble. So here he's looking and saying, okay, here's the warning. Stay away from that wicked path because, listen, it's not innocent. See, the path isn't just I sinned one time, and, and all of us did. This week we probably did. Maybe this morning you did. We're not talking about this. When you step into the path of the wicked in biblical terms, you are deciding on a lifestyle. And when you decide on that lifestyle and say, I'm going to walk this path, and guess what happens? It becomes a habit. You know what happens with habits? They become addictions, don't they? And, and now, do you notice how he even talks about it? He says they can't sleep unless. That sounds like an addict to me. I can't go to sleep unless I have a glass of wine. I can't, I, I can't go to sleep unless I smoke this or take that. This is sin. I am now so habituated to sin. This is why the Bible is going to talk to you about how sin is slavery. What does it do? It dangles out in front of you and say, this is so pleasurable. The only reason you and I sin is because it looks good. It looks like that's, that's what I should do. It's the path of least, least resistance. It's, it, it seems like it's going to bring me pleasure. I go after that. I, you, if, if sin were shown for how ugly it is, nobody would ever choose it. But it looks beautiful. This is why you chase it. So you begin to chase it. You go after this pleasure that you're seeking because we, were all, we are all hardwired by God to seek happiness. And so we run after it. And there's a hook underneath it, like we talked about last week, that gets us, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm wanting more of this pleasure, but the more I go after it, it's like an addict. An addict will tell you, like, I, like that, that, that first high, I have been trying to get back to the level of that first high ever since that first time. I can never achieve it again. I can never get back there. This is what sin does to us. It is a, this is why Paul talks about sin as slavery. Do you not know that whoever you present your body to, right, you're a slave of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness, he says. Because this is what sin will do to you. You'll start walking this way of the wicked and you'll be going after this pleasure thinking, I found, I, I keep going, and now I can't, I, some of you would say, I seem to be in this sort of spiral. Why can't I stop sinning? Why can't I get rid of this bad habit? What is going on with me? I've got this thing that feels like it's just clinging to me. It's like this, it's like this terrible habit that I've got myself into. Because you have been baited with pleasure only to get pain. Some of, you, some of you know C.S. Lewis's um, screw tape letters. And if you've never read it, you should read it. It's wonderful. It's, it's, it's his correspondence between screw tape, who is sort of a senior devil in his world, and his nephew Wormwood. And the enemy, as they correspond to each other, is God. And so they try, they're, they're constantly corresponding with each other in these letters that, that are telling them how do you tempt 
our patience? How do we tempt these human beings that we're in charge of? How do we get them to sin and forget God and all of this? So I love this. It's a famous quote of his. Look what it says. Never forget, this is one of the letters, that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. I love that. All we can do is to encourage humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. Hence, we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that in which it is least natural, least redolent of its maker, and least Pleasurable. I love this last sentence. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. That's addiction. That's sin. And this is what's happening. Sin is pleasurable. Sin seems wonderful. But sin takes all these good things and perverts them. It takes all these wonderful pleasures and baits it with dark things, right? Puts, it, puts a hook underneath it. This is, this is the warning. He's saying, don't go in that. There's an addiction. So where's the hope? Because that seems really dark. I skipped over verse 18. Look at, look at the hope here. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Does it start with the full day? No. It's saying, man, you start. You start in your walk with Christ, and it's like the path of the righteous is like this dawning. It just begins, the light comes and begins to draw you towards fuller and fuller and fuller and fuller day. That is the hope. Our hope is in Christ. And if our hope is in Christ, then, then Christ is in us and he is leading us irretrievably before the full brightness of day out of this darkness. This is an incredible, incredible, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, Paul says. And so what do we do? We come into a relationship with Christ and we just keep walking, keep walking toward the dawn. Every day, one more footstep in front of the other, walking toward the dawn. That's it. That's it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see this light break through into my life. Okay, one last thing. And that's how not to get lost along the way. So look at verse, look at verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, let them not escape from your sight, keep them within your heart. So I'm going to tell you one more thing, son, daughter, before I leave you. And, and why should you listen? Verse 22, for they are life to those who find them. You want real life? And they are healing to all their flesh. This is kind of an interesting claim here, and we talked about this last week. Is this really true? Because I know people that have walked with Jesus all their lives and died of cancer. I have a great friend of our family, walked with Jesus all her life, died with Lou Gehrig's disease. Her body literally wasted away, her flesh wasted away over four or five years. So what's he saying? He's taking a longer view, isn't he? Like, do you understand the great hope of the Christian is not that someday you don't will be sort of popped out of the shell called our bodies and live in this sort of spiritual, you know, ethereal existence in heaven where we can't really hug or touch each other because we're all spirits and hey, you know, that kind of existence. That's not what's happening. So the Bible says that when I die, my body and my spirit part from each other and it was never supposed to be that way. That's alien. That's why death is an enemy. 
But there's coming a day when the resurrection of the dead happens and God reunites soul and body. And that body will be totally healed. My dad died four years ago, May 1st. And guess what? When the resurrection of the dead happens, I'm not going to pass through my spiritual, my dad's spiritual body. I'm going to touch my dad. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to feel that thick head of hair again. I'm going to be able to smell his skin again, everything. I'm going to know my dad, right? He'll be totally healed. This is the promise. And some of you would say, but that, that, that promise is true for me. Like I, I left a world of addiction. I left the world of foolishness and wickedness and it's actually brought healing to my bones now. That's true, it will, but it will ultimately, this promise is that in the life to come. But now, the key to not getting lost along the path is verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. This is where life springs from. It comes out. Out of the heart into life, which is exactly the opposite of what the culture will tell you. All right, the culture will not tell you that you've got to do, something has to happen to your heart. You don't need your heart changed. In fact, your heart is the purest thing about you. Follow your heart. Go with your heart. Go with where your gut tells you. Over and over we're going to hear this. This is Disneyland theology. And the Bible's going to say, no, no, no. And so what they will say, they will continue to say, no, what you've got to do is change your circumstances, change your environment, get a better house, get a better car, get a better life, get a better, get a better career, get a better this, get, get a better spouse if you don't have a good one. Change your circumstances and you will have springs of life. And we could walk through this audience and talk to people who in their former life, that's exactly what they did and they have left a shipwreck. Because life is lived from the inside out, not the outside in. That's what he's saying. I want you to know life. And so we have to keep our hearts, right? The springs of life. So, so, see, so how do, what does wisdom do? When wisdom comes into your heart, Jesus comes in, transforms your heart what does it change? How does it change you? Well, notice now what he's going to do is tell us, here's some things that ought not to be coming out of a heart that has been kept with all vigilance. Okay, so, so let's keep, keep reading. Verse 24, put away from you crooked speech, but de devious talk far from you. Wicked, crooked speech won't come out of a mouth if a heart is pure. So we, you know, I've said to people before, you go to funerals and I've never heard anybody at a funeral say, you know what, this guy's in a dark, bad place. It's almost always like, you know, he's good, he's looking down from us from heaven. He beat his wife and drank himself to death and all these things, but, but he was a good man. No, he wasn't. He wasn't a good man at all. He had a wicked heart. And this is why he beat his wife. This is why he talked the way he did. That crooked speech doesn't come out. You can't have putrid water coming from a pure spring. It's not possible. So here, here they're saying, this is not going to happen. You're not going to have these filthy, I'm not saying, oh, I, you know, I slipped and said something the other day. I'm talking about now, you're, it's, it's this 
putrefying stuff, this crooked stuff that comes out of your mouth. It's the crooked stuff that, that gets posted on social media. It's this, it's this ugly, disgusting things that might come off your lips. It's this, it's this angry or dis, deceitful words. That, that can't happen in a heart that has been kept. Or, or, or let's keep going. He says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight forward. You're what your focus of your life. The focus of your life becomes wisdom, becomes Jesus. It's not like I'm looking other places to find my happiness. I'm looking, I'm focused in other locations to see, you know, where it's at. No, you, you've got a straight gaze. Ponder the path of your field. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change your mind, but that mind is going to change your behavior. Your feet aren't going to go. The path of your life is going to look, it's going to go down a certain path. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Turn your foot away from evil. You see this? So Jesus is saying, man, I want you, right? I, I, I want you to know these things. This is the, this is the hope of not getting lost is that, is that you'll keep your heart with... How do I keep my heart? Like, is it all on me, God? No, I return to wisdom over and over again. I return to Jesus over again. I return again and again and again to the gospel. You know how I refresh my heart? One of the ways is I come in here every week, I partake of the Lord's Supper, and I remember I blew it this week, and I am forgiven. That doesn't make me want to go out and say, oh, I can, I can, I can sin this week, because I can just come back in and get forgiven. Paul says, may it never be. I keep coming in, and i got to remind myself. I don't know about you. I have to remind myself, because I know where my heart goes to dark places. I know that I am so easily overthrown in my mind, and I have to go again and again and remind myself of the unmerited favor and grace of God. You love me, and you love me right now. God, you're not waiting for a future version of Chris to roll off the shelf. You love me now, and I need to hear that. And I need to know that you're merciful today because I've blown it. I need to know that you're gracious today. You see what I mean? This is, this is that refreshing. And, and the Bible says, Jesus says, man, if you come to that, you come and you get the water that I'll give you, then out of your, out of your life is going to flow. Just gush rivers of living water. Because you have been refreshed. You've been changed by Jesus. You see what I'm saying? This is, here it is. This is, all, this is all that's happening. This is the Old Testament. This is Proverbs 4 way of saying, come grab Jesus. Come let him change your life. Come, come to the only one who can change you the way that you're hoping and praying you can actually be changed. Come into the dance that you're being invited into. Which means you're going to turn from the bankrupt ways of the world. The world's wanting to lead you to death. And Jesus is wanting to lead you to life. Whosoever will may come. Let's pray.